Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Well, over time, I'm becoming part of the Zion Hill family. I was with you all in October when the Landsman family was on vacation, which was a really great experience for them um, to be away. This week has not been so good for them. Uh, There's the flu running through their home. Uh, Pastor Mike uh, texted me on Thursday and said, can you fill in? I don't think I'm going to be physically fit for Sunday. And if you don't know, if you don't remember, uh, Pastor Mike and I are friends from seminary. Uh, I now work in public education, so I have an opportunity, I have some time to fill in when uh, there's need in churches. So I'm thankful to be here. Pray for the Landsmans, uh, and I think uh, they should be up and uh, feeling better in the next few days. So whether you like it or not, Pastor Mike will be back with you next week. I'm going to be preaching a sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which is one of our readings. I'll be mainly focused on verses 1 to 5, and I've entitled this, The Message That We Need and the Way That We Need It. To give a little context of this this letter to to the Corinthians, this is a church which with major divisions. There were divisions in this church concerning personalities, divisions over the Apostle Paul's authority, divisions over sexual immorality and how leaders should deal with it. There were, there were believers who were suing one another. There were marital divisions. They were divided over food offered to idols and what they should do with it. There were divisions over head coverings. There were divisions over the Lord's table. There were divisions over how they exercised their spiritual gifts. There were divisions over how they should show love to one another. Were, there were divisions over orderly worship and what that would look like. And there seemed to be some divisions about understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ in chapter 15. So how does Paul move to bring unity to these people? Friends, we live in a very divided age. In our country, there's political divisions, there are denominational divisions, there are racial divisions. Does the Word of God give us any insight into how to create unity? Does unity come from just saying, hey, let's all get along? If there were divisions in this church, would we just say, hey, let's just all get along? The Apostle Paul doesn't talk that way. He believes there's actually a message that can bring unity to groups of people. There's a message. And it's the message that we need. But it also needs to be delivered in a certain way. And there's things that the Apostle Paul says in these first two chapters that do not hit the ear of a 21st century American person very easily. But we need them. Like you were studying in the fall the hard sayings of Jesus. There's hard sayings in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. Actually, there's hard sayings in this entire book. And you know what? There's hard sayings in the entire Bible. Isn't there? 
And we need all of them. We need it not only to convict us, but we need the hard sayings of God's word in order to encourage us. I hope this message does that for you today. But let me ask you a question. How does the average American react to the word preaching? Preaching. If you said to your friend, hey, let's get together for lunch. I want to spend some time proclaiming truth to you. How would they react to that? That probably wouldn't go over too well. I was one time I was at, the, at my hygienist and uh, she was cleaning my mouth, not to gross you out, but she was cleaning my mouth. And uh, I, I just get in conversations with people. I happen to talk about the church that I was a member of. And I said, do you have a local church that you're a part of? And she said, you know, my boyfriend and I, we are looking for a church that's not too preachy. She was being honest. I think she represents a large part of the population in our country that maybe wants a congregation, but they don't want to hear too many hard sayings. In fact, we actually go the opposite way when we talk about our churches. We like to say, hey, you'd love the minister at our church. They're just not too preachy. There was a woman that wrote in the New York Times an opinion piece in 2012. Her name's Christy Wampel. And I love what she said. She said, somehow in America, directness has become unbearable to us. I think she hit on something true. We're not too comfortable with the ideas of preaching and proclaiming and heralding. But the Apostle Paul begins this letter by setting the minds of the Corinthians straight about his authority and how to think about proclamation, words, and preaching and their priority in their church. And I'll ask a question first before I reread five verses. And it's a question that I think the Apostle Paul was asking these people. And he was asking them, are you committed to people or are you committed to God? And let me just reread 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. He said this, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God when addressing relational divisions in the first chapter The Apostle Paul said this, he said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach or proclaim the gospel, the good news. Paul wanted to let the Corinthians know that the center of the church is not relationships with church leaders, well, that's good. But rather, the center is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul seems to say that people were divided based on personalities, and the church was suffering because of a lack of attention to the truth of Jesus Christ. Preaching was being neglected. Chapter 3 says that people were not growing spiritually because of loyalty to church leaders that had become more important to them than the preaching of the good news. Through Paul, God wanted to steer the church back to the center. And the center was what? Christ on the cross. And he says that you don't get the real Christ through plausible words or lofty speech. You receive Christ most effectively through simple heralding do we know what heralding is in our day 
In the ancient world, a herald was a person that took a message from one important leader to another. It wasn't about their spin on the message for a herald. It wasn't about their interpretation of the message. They simply took the message from one place to another and proclaimed it. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying that he was doing. He was a simple herald. He had received the message from Jesus Christ and he was delivering it to God's people in the Corinthian church. Paul was so focused on not only the message, but also his method of delivering it. You see, friends, we live in a visual age. And you might say this, why is the Apostle Paul so fixated on this idea of the spoken word? He's fixated on the words proclamation. He's fixated on the words preaching. He's fixated on the idea of heralding. Why is that such a big deal to the Apostle Paul? You might hear this in our day. People might say this. Churches that are still emphasizing preaching, like your church, they're antiquated. They won't reach a younger generation. They're stuck in their ways. You might hear people say this. Stop trying to know God. Stop trying to put God in a box. And we need to start feeling and sensing God. You know, Paul was up against the same thing in his day. He was up against the cultural elite of his day, philosophers and debaters of the age, who basically said, don't rely on the truth of the cross. Be better at philosophy. Be better at debate. Sociology needs to be your main focus. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But Paul knew that in God's economy, words bring life. Do you remember that? Words bring life. How did the universe come into existence? God spoke it into existence, Genesis chapter 1. In Isaiah 55, the prophet says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish all which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Of God's own will, he brought forth by the word He brought us forth by the word of his truth. When the words of God go out, the Apostle Paul knew this, they create spiritual life. But Paul says that effective heralding or proclamation or preaching is a demonstration. In verse 4, we see it's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Usefulness to God is not found in noble birth. It comes from a humility in people as they are led downward in subjection, in subjection to all that God has said. Usefulness in service to God doesn't come from oneself. It, spring, it springs from a spiritual giftedness and a fidelity to the message of the cross. Effective preaching comes from listening to all that God has said, being shaped by it, and communicating it with conviction. There can be no soft peddling and faithful proclamation, nor can there be an unbiblical heavy-handedness. The message of the cross must reign supreme. Now, is this message that the Apostle Paul is talking about, is this message all that we need? When the Apostle Paul talked about the center of his ministry, the Corinthians, he wrote, and I read it for our young people, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, does that sound strange to us? 
The Apostle Paul was a learned man, highly educated, formally educated. And he says, I purpose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Trust me, the Apostle Paul is not putting down formal education. The Apostle Paul is not calling Christians to be empty-headed buffoons. What did he mean? When, what did the Apostle Paul mean when he said in chapter 1 of Romans, the message of God the message of the gospel is the power of God. What did Peter mean when he said that Christ's power had granted us all things when it comes to life and godliness? Here's what the apostles seem to mean. The strength, might, and the ability of God to save and bring about growth in people is fused through, to us through the message of the cross. The power for salvation and spiritual growth is not in better decisions. It's not through therapy. It's not through life skills training. It's not through medication or social work. And all of those things are good. My wife happens to be a social worker. I happen to be in public education, teaching better decision making and life skills. I take medication myself. All of those things are good. But there is nothing that can bring spiritual life except the message of Jesus. You may need medication to help order your thoughts or your mood, but only the message of the cross will change our hearts. Your children may need therapy to help with their behavior at school, but only the message of the cross will save their soul. We will need help. We will need to help young married couples grow in maturity and their decision making. But the greatest need is to understand the message of the cross. The greatest need is the need of the soul, which can only be touched through the good news of Jesus. When we think of great proclamation or great words, what do we think of? You know, our political climate right now, we hear a lot of great speeches. Maybe speeches that you love or speeches that you hate. But the way speeches are delivered in our culture is not the way the Apostle Paul says that the message of the cross needs to be delivered. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says that his message was not in lofty speech or wisdom. In verse 4, he says that his message was not in plausible or reasonable or probable words. The Apostle Paul seems to be opposing the method employed by professional orators in his day. And professional orators in his day were people who were highly formally educated, but also great speakers. And they would go into the center of town and they would, they would uh, uh, say, give me a topic to speak on. And people would give them a topic and they would wax eloquent on that topic. That's an amazing ability. The Apostle Paul says, that is not the way that I approach you Corinthians and that's not the way ministers should approach their churches. He says in chapter 4 that the words of God need to come as a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. In other words, God does the work. God supplies the gifts. God's Holy Spirit applies the truth. Growth of an individual or growth of a church or growth of a nation comes about as God does the work applying the truth 
of Jesus. I don't sense that Paul is saying that we shouldn't be good with words or preachers shouldn't be good with words or that we should be empty-headed or uneducated. Of course, Paul does not believe any of those things. What we sense Paul is saying is that the one who communicates the truth of God must forsake appealing to the will. We must forsake manipulating people or trying to get people to make commitments that they're uncomfortable with. We must forsake our ability to craft great sermons. We must forsake a desire to appeal to the natural reason of man. We must forsake dangling prosperity and good times in front of people. We must not be fixated on receiving the appreciation of people. Christian proclamation is God-focused. And the Christian minister, whether they be professional or lay people like us, must rely completely on God. We must proclaim a crucified Jesus in a crucified style. That's what the Puritan John Flavel said. Does this truth of Jesus benefit us, though? Would it benefit the Corinthians to listen to the message of the cross? In other words, does the truth of Jesus actually make a difference in people's lives? I think when we're discouraged, we don't think that. When you're discouraged and you're down, sometimes you're tempted to think, I don't think the message of Jesus has made that big of a difference in my life. Let's not go based on our experiences. Let's go based on what the Apostle Paul wrote. Does the truth of Jesus, does the message of the cross, does it shape us in any way? In chapter 1, verse 21, he wrote this. God was pleased through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, God uses preaching to rescue people from darkness. You and I were not born loving Jesus Christ. We were born distanced from him. We were born wanting our own way. And if we have any faith in us at all, it's because God's been good. Even the faith of a mustard seed. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like my faith is so small it feels like that of a mustard seed? Tiny, tiny bit. That's good. That's from God. He gave that to you. Chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, My speech and my message were not in probable words, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen, can you imagine how insecure we would be if our faith rested in the wisdom of men? Here's why we would be insecure. Because the wisdom of men shifts about every 10 years. Things that I believe were 100% true 30 years ago, science now tells me they're not true anymore. Right? Right? Things that our society says, this is the way it has to be 15 years ago. Now our society says, no, it's got to be different. That's, that brings about insecurity. The Apostle Paul says, make sure your faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of men. Make sure it rests in the power of God. See, we worship a God who oversees our world, and our God has chosen to save people as the message of the cross is proclaimed. Sometimes the message of the cross is proclaimed at home, sometimes at work, sometimes at school, and always amongst the church. In God's wise plan, he gives his people the privilege of hearing and proclaiming the message of Jesus. 
Sometimes the message falls on deaf ears, but other times it creates life. It supernaturally opens people's eyes to things that they didn't believe before. That's conversion, the Bible says. In Titus chapter 1, Paul says that God saved the elect at the proper time through preaching that he entrusted to faithful men. As a result of this truth, 1 Corinthians says that God brings people to faith, not man. God does the work in our world through the proclamation of truth so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Now, the question is, and we've been talking about this message of the cross, what is the message? What is the message? The message of Jesus is not just a statement. It's not just a cliche. It's not just a line that I'm using right now. In chapter 1, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says this, We preach Jesus Christ crucified. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, we preach the testimony of God. He says in chapter 2, verse 2, I want to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself. With the death and resurrection of the perfect Son of God, Jesus, at the very center of the story. The Bible gives the message of the cross, but what is the word of the cross? In a nutshell, here's what it is. Before God laid the foundations of this earth, he had already purposed to draw a people to himself through his son. God created the earth and created Adam and Eve knowing that they would sin. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, all humankind is born separated from God. You and I are born sinners by our nature, and we're also sinners by our choice. I know that's unpopular and we don't want to hear it, but we do remember that every week. It keeps us humble. We're born hostile towards God and His way of salvation. And the entire message of the Old Testament anticipates the coming of Jesus Christ, especially His death on the cross. God the Son, Jesus, took on flesh and came to earth as a sacrificial lamb. He willingly endured the physical pains of life on earth. He willingly endured his torture and his execution. But even more impressively, he willingly endured separation from his Father. For on the cross, God the Father judged the Son. On the cross, God laid on his Son his righteous anger towards sin. On the cross, Jesus Christ took the punishment for the sin of all who had ever placed their faith in his work. Christ made the payment for the sin of his people, the people of faith, on the cross. The message of the cross is not an easy message to digest, but it is a glorious message for us who believe. It's not easy because it's so bloody. The message of the cross is a message of torture. It's a grotesque message that pits my sin against the holiness of God. And the only way that an individual can be made right is for blood to be shed. But through the word of the cross is salvation and forgiveness. Through the cross, God's righteous anger towards sin has been satisfied. Through the cross, all of the demands of the law for righteousness have been met. Through the word of the cross comes real turning away from sin. Through the word of the cross is all that is needed 
for holy living. Through the cross, I stop working towards God and start trusting in God. Through the cross is freedom from sin's penalty, and we receive a Christ-focused vision of eternity. If you've been changed for real, if you've been given faith, it's not by your effort. It's not by my effort. It's through the work of Jesus Christ. Through the cross, sinners are made saints. Appetites change because of the cross. And it's slow. And it's painful. But we are losing our, the taste for sin that we once loved. Through the cross... True believers are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the direct words of the Apostle Paul. May they convict us. May they encourage us. May we see Jesus And may our faith and repentance grow, not because of ourselves, but because of the work that you're doing in us and around us. As the Apostle Paul says, uh, which is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to check us out online zionstoneucc.com or on our Facebook page zionstoneucc I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. if you want to get a hold of me shoot me an email at malandsman at gmail.com or through our social media page like I just mentioned if you could take a couple minutes we would appreciate it if you went to a GoFundMe we've set up gofundme.com slash save zionstone in order to donate towards some big repairs that we need to have done to the church. So if you could donate anything, we greatly appreciate it. If you're in the area, come worship with us. Our services are at 1015 and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m. Thank you so much again for listening. May God bless you.